This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good morning. You are listening to The Morning Run at 6 a.m. on Wednesday, the 27th of July. I'm Shazana Mokhtar in studio today with Wong Xiaoning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's midweek and it's the last week of the month already. 157 days to the end of the year, Xiaoning. Oh my goodness, where did time go? somewhere in the recesses of our mind. But can I also use this time to acknowledge um, our listeners, Kalai Vanakam, we learned this yesterday. Good morning in Tamil. I think we need to practice this more moving forward. Yes, Selamat pagi, ciao an, san. What else should we, what, what else have we missed out? I'm we sure must... there's plenty more languages we can pick up, Iban, Kadazan, Duso, and you know, we'll, we'll, le- we'll learn this as we go. And in the meantime, if you want to WhatsApp us and let us know how to say good morning in your language, please do so. Our WhatsApp number is 018 and as always, today we have a lot of interesting conversations lined up. Beginning at 7.15, should the government intervene with Bumiputra quotas for GLC shopping mall tenancies? This was an announcement that the Prime Minister, Dr. Sri Ismail Sabri, made a few days ago or, or just yesterday. We're going to discuss this latest policy announcement with Ahmad Yazid Othman of Majlis Tindakan Ekonomi Melayu or MTEM. Then at 7.30, as we await the outcome of the FOMC meeting, which is going to happen later tonight, uh, we discussed the global economic outlook for the second half of the year with Chief Economist Selina Ling of OCBC Bank. I think everyone's waiting to see whether it's a 75 or 100 bips uh, let's increase. Let's make a bet. Let's, but, let's take a bet. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, fine. I'll just I'll, I'll bet on the odds, I guess. I, it's going to be 100. I think it's going to be 75. But, but we'll know. Tomorrow, when we speak to you at this same time, we will definitely have an answer for you. And then after that, at 7.45, you know, we asked the question, instead of trying to guess the date of the next general election, could fixed term parliaments be a solution? We discussed this proposal with political scientist Dr. Wong Chin Huat. And then you'll want to stay tuned past the 8am hour because we have a breakfast grill today that is not to be missed. Yeah, I'm going to have a conversation with Dr. Johan Mahmud Marikan. He's the Deputy Secretary General of Treasury. Uh, this is happening uh, on the back of the, the fact that Budget 2023 is going to be around the corner, October. Uh, there's already been a pre-budget statement. I'm going to grill him on that. I'm also going to grill him on all these issues that a lot of people have in mind in terms of our ballooning subsidy bill that's close to 80 billion ringgit. And uh, what's the, the what's the status on growing our revenue base as a country? We're going to have all this and more today on The Morning Run. Stay with us, BFM 89.9. That was The Temptations with The Way You Do. Before that, you heard Benny King with Stand By Me. You're listening to The Morning Run with me, Shazana Mokhtar and Wong Xiaoning. 6.08 in the morning on Wednesday, the 27th of July. So I'm going to call this a Fun Fact Wednesday because I have a couple of fun facts to dole out throughout this morning. Beginning with this fun fact, New York. The New York City has 8.4 million residents, more than 60 million annual tourists, at least pre-pandemic, but it only has 1,103 public toilets. Not enough, right? <laughs> clearly, clearly, clearly not I enough. I mean, what is that? That doesn't sound like any reasonable number of public... I mean, just imagine the queues, I'm thinking, especially in the summer when people are out and about. Um, I am not... I don't relish the thought of their public toilets during that period. But uh, that's 
particularly why this law being proposed by the New York City Council, allocating resources to open up more public bathrooms, is getting a lot of attention there. And there's this really fascinating article on Bloomberg just describing um, what's happening in New York with regard to public bathrooms. They describe it as a bathroom desert. And I think reading this article made me think of public toilets in all these different angles that maybe I would not have thought of before. Yeah, I mean, a toilet is a utility, right? It's To me, it's a necessity. It's a public utility. It should be available as and when you need it. Okay, I accept that, you know, you might need to queue, that, you know, it's, it's, it's a fact of life. But it shouldn't be like the statistics we get out of New York where there's just so few bathrooms. Right. I think in, if I bring the conversation back to Malaysia, the situation is slightly better because we have a lot of malls mm. and the malls have a lot of bathrooms. So we don't generally go out and walk about as much as New Yorkers. I mean, New Yorkers, there aren't that many malls. There are some departmental stores, but malls are very far and very, very few and far be in between. Definitely not on the city itself yeah. and Manhattan itself. Yeah, so where do you go when you need a toilet break in Manhattan? And from my recollection, I, I end up going to a restaurant or cafe and buying a drink and then using the, the toilet there. Or I sneak into a departmental store like Macy's and Bloomingdale's and then use the bathroom there. Or if I'm... In the museum, I don't actually go into the museum, but I use the toilet at the entrance of the museum. But that means I find in cities like that, I have to strategize. Mm. Be very careful. When do I need to go to the toilet? Plan my journey uh, and actually literally take toilet breaks according to that. So there's this TikTok account called Go to, Got to Go NYC, I think. You can look it up. But this uh, woman decided that, yeah, she's kind of had enough with this bathroom desert of New York City. So does she plan like me? She does. And what she also does is she plots out all the places in the city where you can find a public toilet or, um, you know, where, where you can access that toilet for uh, either for free or, or I guess relatively low rates. But that's that's, like you said, that's the reason why they're looking at increasing public toilets at the moment. New York has has what they've done is they have, what do you say, outsourced the job of creating public toilets to the private sector, which is why you've got the shops and the restaurants. But this doesn't really afford, this doesn't really provide accessible public toilets um, to everyone. You know, shops close. Uh, restaurants, you, maybe you have to pay to actually use their toilets. Yeah, yeah. You feel so, obliged to buy a drink, right? A or lot of the time people coffee. don't have access. Um, and we don't have, I guess, data on public toilet per capita here in Malaysia. But um, as you said, Xiaoning, uh, we tend to flock to malls. That's the public space for us. Uh, how would you rate the, I guess, how would you rate the level of public toilets in malls? I mean, can we generally say that they're okay, more or less? <laughs> that says it all, right? <laughs> That's like the sound of the heebie-jeebies. I think it really, really, really varies from place to place. Um, so some malls are better than others. But I would have to say... We Malaysians are just really bad when it comes to keeping our own toilets clean. I wonder why that is, yeah? yeah. What is it about public amenities that makes us not... Style, you, know? right, yeah, like, you don't care. Oh, we don't clean it, so we don't have to yeah. use it well, or we can just I mean, whatever. let's just spray it completely wet, completely wet, so that you might fall and slip. Why? I don't understand that. Uh, why can't you flush? Are you allergic to the flush? I mean, you flush at home, right? So are you... Does that... Thing you press suddenly give you the heebie-jeebies in public. <laughs> I mean, just wash your hands afterwards, right? Why? I, these are the simple things that I don't quite understand. Another bugbear of mine. Can't you just queue? Why must you cut the queue? 
why must you like suddenly be so important in a public toilet? Mm. Mm. Everyone needs to go. Um, no one is more important than the other yeah. when it comes to answering the call of nature. Uh, but you know what? Tell us what you think. What do you think of the state of public toilets in Malaysia? Do we have enough? Are they at a, a suitable level? Uh, if you have any horror stories, do share. We love hearing those. Yes, you can WhatsApp the, us. The scarier, the better. <laughs> WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. We are heading into some messages and when we come back, what the Romans can teach us about pension reforms. BFM 89.9. That was Bush with Letting the Cables Sleep, the Now remix. Um, For those of you who aren't going back to sleep, who are starting your day, good morning. You're with The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokdar with Wong Xiaoning. 6.20 a.m. on Wednesday, the 27th of July. So it's Fun Fact Wednesday. And my next fun fact Did you know that the Romans introduced the first formal pension scheme for soldiers all the way back in 13 BC? So it paid all those who served for 25 years in the army a lump sum equivalent to 13 years of salary. And this system was introduced to replace a previous system of granting um, small plots of land. So instead of land, they gave you money that amounted to maybe 13 years uh, that you could use after you retired from the military. So this op-ed piece in the Financial Times by Marion Somerset Webb points out that even centuries later, I can't even count how many thousands or hundreds of years (laughs) that has ensued since then. 2,000 roughly. The state pension concept remains more or less the same, yeah? So using the UK as as an example, she laid out that uh, pension savings for an adult working for 30 years with the state pension comes to about the same value as a Roman soldier. But there is a big difference in that longevity has grown significantly from Roman times. Back then, the life expectancy for an adult male was 41 years old. Um, Today, someone born in 2007... uh, is projected to live until 103, possibly. Wow. I mean, okay, we have some... Let's bring the conversation back to Malaysia, right? Because the Department of Statistics, I think, came out with recent data to say that if you're born today, your life expectancy has increased to, what, 76 years, I think, uh, on average for the Malaysian, and then it's 78 for women, 73 for men, something like that. So definitely all of us are living far longer because four decades ago, the average age was expectancy was only about 60 plus. So we have made great strikes uh, in terms of living longer because of you know uh, better lifestyles, availability of health. Um, but the, the problem is with that, I'm not saying that living longer is a bad thing, but the problem with that is that you need to actually have funds for your retirement so that you can retire comfortably. And as we know, the sad data is only 3% of EPF members have enough set aside for their retirement. 3%, I repeat, 3 Okay, So that's a very dismal number. So these pension schemes conceptually work really, really well. And there's a difference, okay, I would say there's a difference between EPF and a pension, but they're all some form of retirement schemes. Conceptually, fantastic. But are we really ready for this aging society that we're hitting? So even in today's Straits Times, the headline is Make it law with Malaysia now an aging society. Children should be compelled by law to care for their parents. Mm. Um, we're just not ready, it seems. And in 2056, we would be in the same position as Japan is in today. right? So are we prepared for it? Is our pension scheme 
ready for it. And I think the closest way to look at this is maybe looking at Coop as an example, because that's pension for civil servants. I wonder how much of this is also down to just the psychology of it. The fact is that we have difficulty projecting so far into the future and to consider what our future needs are, right? Like, what's the average age when a person actually starts thinking um, seriously about retirement? I think if you were to ask the average 20-year-old, they're probably not looking that far ahead. They're looking much closer timelines to their first car, maybe, to their first house, to getting married. The idea of saving for something way into the future, you can't imagine what your future Mm. self is going to be like then. It's difficult, yeah? So I think that's one of the hurdles that needs to be addressed or overcome in everybody in order to be able to start building that retirement nest that you need. So I think it goes back to teaching financial literacy in school, right? Um, And starting young rather than expecting people to assume that they know what to do automatically when they start working or even before they start working. Because not everyone has the same level of exposure when it comes to financial products or instruments or the concept of financial planning. So it should start from the early age. I mean, if you can learn you know, uh, moral in school. Why can't you learn financial literacy as, right. as another subject, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it is a life skill, if you ask me, an essential life skill. We have something called Kemahiran Hidup, or I did when I was in school, called Kemahiran Hidup, right? Living skills. It should, I think financial literacy should be parked under that avenue as well. It is something that you definitely need mm. to live a long and um, fruitful, comfortable life. Yeah, but when you look at the concept of pensions also, a lot of countries are struggling. It's not like it's a perfect system. The concept for sure, I totally think it's fantastic, but it requires clever planning, okay? Because it's what happens is over time, your population goes from a triangle to an inverted triangle. So less people are putting money in to support an aging society and it's the same for pensions. So unless the money in the pension scheme is working extra hard to ensure a certain uh, decent returns, it is going to be a challenge. So even if we look at Coop, right, uh, in a recent interview with the CEO, and this was done by the Edge in 2021, they acknowledged that because Malaysia has so many civil servants, it is going to be a struggle. I mean, there are issues about whether there's a, a sufficient asset liability matching as the as more and more uh, civil servants actually retire. And I think this conversation is not just a Malaysian conversation. It's a conversation that we see in a lot of countries. It's being replicated around the world for sure. And definitely this uh, policy debate needs to continue and action needs to be taken now for the future. Again, it's a, the governments also have this hurdle, yes. you know, forward so I, planning. I think, you know, on one hand, yes, governments need to think about the aging society and prepare for it. And if you provided pensions for your civil servants, yes, you need to be fiduciarily responsible to ensure the asset liability matching. But I think the other thing is we, we individuals need to account for our own retirement. We cannot just rely on EPF or the government to provide that that retirement for us. 626 in the morning. Tell us what you think. Uh, how can we improve our pensions and retirement systems? What needs to be done to make more individuals aware about the need to prepare for retirement? WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We're, we're heading into the 6.30am news bulletin. Here's Travis with Why Does It Always Rain On Me to take us to the news. BFM 89.9. Where Are You Tonight by Bob Dylan. Well, I hope that you're here with us this morning. We're the morning run. I'm Shazana Mukhtar with Wong Xiaoning. 6.43 in the morning on Wednesday, the 27th of July. It's that time of morning where we take a look at what's making headlines around the world. Um, I'll start us off with what uh, I saw when I woke up overnight. And this is regarding the UK prime ministerial debate. Uh, as we know, uh, Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss are going head to head 
ahead to win the hearts and minds of conservative voters? Well, there was a little bit of a kerfuffle in the latest debate. Um, Unfortunately, the host, Kate McCann, fainted midway through the debate and it had to be halted halfway. Um, So she's she's all right, just so you know, she's okay. Um, But uh, yeah, that was a little bit of an unfortunate turn of events uh, during the debate. Yeah, so the viewers heard a loud crash, boom, I guess. And then with Liz Truss looking shocked and holding her hands to her face, um, and then, of course, I think um, the medics had to be called. And in the end, uh, the debate did not resume. Let's hope the host is okay and the third TV debate will go on, I think, as as scheduled. Is there yeah. another third one? Probably. Probably. This uh, particular debate was hosted by The Sun and Talk TV. So really a conservative uh, a conservative viewership, essentially. Um, there was a prior debate earlier this week on the BBC. Um, that one uh, was also quite acrimonious from the uh, reports that I've read. There was a lot of mudslinging between the two um, and it seemed that Liz Trust did come out more favorably mm. among the viewers in that first uh, debate, whether Rishi Sunak can make up ground um, in these later debates is, um, I guess, the thing to watch. Yeah, and uh, following up with this, I'm looking at the New Straits Times and yesterday we asked the question whether ASEAN was going to issue a statement right, with regards to the executions. So they have come out to say that it is highly reprehensible and destructive to regional efforts to de-escalate the crisis that they were extremely troubled and deeply saddened by the executions, as well as by the timing, just a week ahead of the bloc's next meeting, actually. So it's um, ASEAN has mentioned something. I think the US is also pressing China to be to say something about these executions. I'm, I wonder if that's a little bit of a lost cause, really. Yeah. Um, but in any case, these uh, the, the news of executions has definitely, I think, a it's pointing the crisis in Myanmar to an even more worrying path. Definitely. And how are they going to de-escalate all this? And then very quickly, Biden will be speaking to Xi Jinping on Thursday as US-China ties worsen. This is according to Bloomberg. We've been talking about this and it's really going to be happening against the backdrop of Nancy Pelosi. Maybe, maybe visiting Taiwan in early August. And not only that, uh, we have news overnight that Russia is going to pull out of the International Space Station when their contract for cooperation ends in 2024. And that makes me sad a little bit because space seemed to be the only frontier where there was actually um, genuine cooperation between all the different geopolitical factions. Is that coming to an end now? And what will that mean moving forward? It was the final frontier. Why aren't you all guys getting along there? Or, you know, nobody wants to go to infinity and beyond together. Sorry, all those puns from different movies. I can't help it. What's happening on Earth is being transposed into space as well. Uh, It's 6.46 in the morning. We are taking a quick break. We'll come back with a look at what's making headlines in our local newspapers and portals. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. That was Nick Lowe with Cruel to be Kind. You are listening to The Morning Run, 6.50am on Wednesday, the 27th of July. It's that time of day where we take a look at what's making headlines or, uh, well, in our local newspapers and portals now. I think a lot of the attention is on what happened in Parliament last night. I think there were a couple of bills that were passed. Um, whether those are good or bad, I think, is really a question of debate. Yeah, so we had IPCC bill, I think that was passed, and then then SOSMA was also passed. So those were the two biggies that happened yesterday afternoon. Uh, IPCC, I think, uh, 
That's the Independent Police Conduct Commission bill. And don't forget that this is an, uh, the dif- there's IPCC and then there was the uh, superior or uh, arguably superior IPCMC, which is supposed to um, increase the uh, oversight over police misconduct. Um, unfortunately, the IPCC bill was passed yesterday despite um, civil society and opposition parties raising concern over the lack of enforcement power um, that the IPCC uh, bill um, has over errant police officers. So in the end, will this actually make a difference? Will this actually hold the police accountable for any abuses of power that are being conducted or carried out? Uh, and I want to mention this. I mean, it's being highlighted in Malaysia Kini. And it's our, actually, what it's not any bill, but what happened in Parliament itself. So Batu Kawan MP gets ejected from lower house over Tajuddin cursing issue. So I think Kasturi Pato asked the speaker, deputy speaker, you know, what are they going to do about uh, Tajuddin's, uh, I suppose, what he uttered, right? And I think the deputy speaker and her got into a war of words. And in the end, he ejected her. Right. Um, that is... You know, the optics of it don't look great to me, at least. And I feel like leaders of parliament should take the lead in setting the right tone when it comes to language. Um, really, uh, you know, really, how to say, it, zero tolerance on any sexist, racist or discriminatory remarks. I mean, I think they should take that lead. But um, apparently, well, unfortunately, in Malaysian parliament, we don't really see that happening. Mm. And a lot of leeways or a lot of lenience, uh, you know, lenient rulings are, are made. Yeah, because it's said, it is said uh, that uh, Tajuddin's punishment for his alleged use of a curse word involved two days of suspension, a punishment which the deputy speaker claims started last Wednesday when he ordered Tajuddin to leave the house. But I think there was there's, there isn't clarity as to when the second day of the suspension will be implemented. So there was a bit of a back and forth, I think. Right, right. Mm. Okay, well, uh, yes, another day of drama in Parliament. If we take a look at the SOSMA Act, um, this is the act, uh, this was the bill that was proposed back in March to extend a particular provision of SOSMA that would allow for a detention of up to 28 days. Um, this was first rejected back in March. It was uh, that we managed to, uh, the opposition managed to vote it down. However, the government has brought this, retabled this bill, and it passed yesterday um, with a vote of, oh, I think, 111 versus 88, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but uh, yes, 111 eyes, 88 nays. And, and I, I mean, this is a worrisome development because it does give the government um, extensive powers, and whether there are any curbs or checks and balances mm. to actually monitor that is is really the worry. Yeah. The other thing also is when a government fails in round one of a bill, do, does it mean that it just keeps going and going and going till it eventually gets the votes that it wants? Apparently so. It, if, if we go by this example, it, mm. it, it seems that the government um, can do that. And then where does the incentive lie for a government to actually improve a bill if in the end they can just strong arm whatever yeah. it is that they want through yeah, parliament? Rather than discuss it with, with the opposition and come up with a more bipartisan approach to any law, right? So, you know, just, just weigh it down, weigh down everybody and maybe you'll get the bill you want. It's sad because in this current environmental climate as well, where political tensions are, you know, they're heightened and we have GE15 coming up. There's a lot of concern that these kinds of provisions can be used against, um, you know, pol- political actors, whether rightly or wrongly. I think that's the fear. 
Um, so this is something that we'll need to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, and then uh, for those who are following the SRC uh-huh. trial, oh my gosh, right? There was a bit of a twist and turn because uh, former convicted Prime Minister Najib Razak, uh, he's decided to appoint a new legal team to represent him at the final SRC international appeal. Uh, this is on the back of the High Court dismissing his application for a Queen's Council. So now he's appointed uh, the law firm Zai Ibrahim, Sufyan, TH Liu and partners as solicitors. I have to say, I was surprised by this. I initially thought, was it because of some kind of, um, you know, some kind of argument with um, with Tan Sri Shafi'i, but actually Sri Shafi'i, but no, um, Shafi'i and Co still retains, uh, I guess, legal representation in of all Najib Razak for all other cases, but just for this particular appeal, they have swapped over to a different law firm. So, looking to see how that uh, plays out in the courts. It's six fifty six in the morning. We're heading into the seven a.m. news bulletin. We'll come back after that with a look at. Uh, global markets and how they closed overnight. Here's Prince taking you to the news with Raspberry Beret, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.